Hey everybody, this is Brian Johnson with the weekly conversation from Mid-City Vineyard Church. Hey look, if you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and then of course online, midcityvineyard.org, and there's all kinds of information there if you want to uh, kind of investigate some of the things that, that we believe in and some of the things that we pursue. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a series that we've entitled Soul Care. And when we talk about the soul, we, we understand the soul as, as ultimately being the, the essence of our being. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to actually care for our soul. And we're going to discuss different practices and, and ideas along the way. And so in this first episode, uh, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about what it means to actually or, or how one might begin to think with the divine. And so we're going to head on over to that conversation. Really hope you enjoy this. Thanks for checking it out. Much peace to you. But over these next couple of weeks, we're really going to be looking at ways that we might more effectively care for our souls. And when I use the word soul, uh, the, it has lots of definitions depending on which uh, a tradition you're looking at uh, coming from. But for, for me, when I look at the word or when I use the word soul, I'm ultimately talking about the essence of your, your being. Uh, some traditions, you know, we could use uh, the core of a person's being, uh, the heart, uh, the spirit of a person, whatever it might be. But I, I, lo- I love the word soul. It's got a, maybe it's because we're New Orleanians. I don't know that there's something about the very essence, the very s- s- sense of who you are. As a person, and so we understand what it is to take care of ourselves physically. Physical care would in- include things like, you know, perhaps going to the gym or uh, not eating so much king cake, uh, maybe not drinking as much alcohol, uh, or 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 perhaps uh, swimming or running or fi- you know, physical physical care, sleeping well. We know what physical care is. Uh, mental care. Oh, read a book. Instead of surf the internet for a little while, that, that keeps you a little bit more mentally sharp. Uh, exercising one's brain, you know, it's just kind of, there, there are lots of mental sudoku or sudoku or whatever. You know, I mean, there, there are just ways to keep yourself sharp mentally. Uh, but when it comes to soul care, how do, how do I care for my soul? I, that's, that's a little bit more of a tricky question for people. You know? When I talk about it being the essence of our being, I think it includes all these components. It's kind of like if I'm caring for my soul, it includes, I think physical care is a part of caring for your soul. Mental care is a part of caring for your soul. Emotional care is a part of caring for your soul. But there's also things, I think there are practices, exercises, things that we can engage in to allow ourselves at the core of our being to, to, to be at peace, to be restful, Ultimately, I would say that in the midst of the chaos, a person can still find freedom, rest, and peace at the core of their being, at the essence of their being, if they are paying attention to their own soul. And when the world is falling apart around you and you find yourself getting caught up in it and falling apart with it, to me, that is an indicator of someone who's who's not affording themselves the opportunity to pay as much attention to the inner life. Some things, and we'll talk about these, uh, I think having fun is part of soul care. We'll actually do a whole week on having fun. 
right? I mean, I, I, and I think most Christians miss that, honestly. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about contemplation and meditation. Today, I want to talk where I think most of it starts, and it's prayer. And the thing is, talking about prayer in church seems normal, but I, I find that prayer is a tricky thing. So many people don't know how to pray or, or, or think that there's a, a, a trick to it or they're just confused by it, and it's, it's just kind of hard. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, says, Prayer is first and foremost an active, the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our personal and our communal lives. So even what we're doing today ultimately is an act of prayer as we welcome and connect with the Holy Spirit in community together. Now it says, through the disciplines of solitude and community, what we try to do is we try to remove slowly and gently uh, many of the obstacles that, pre- that prevent us from listening to the voice of God. God speaks to us not only once in a while, but God speaks to us day and night, during work, during play, in joy, in sorrow. God's Spirit, God's Spirit is actively present in us. And our task is to allow that presence to become real in us, in everything that we say, do, and think. So when we talk soul care, I think prayer is a great place to start. And I just want to give you a couple of thoughts on this today, and then we're going to actually create a space of silence, and I'm going to lead you through a a, a particular exercise that may or may not help you. I think it will. But by very definition, here's, here's the most important thing. By very definition, prayer is talking to God. It's talking with the divine. It's interacting with the Holy Spirit. And so it's simple. It's not difficult. We've made it difficult. And there are practices that we can do to help, uh, help us move and ebb and flow with it. But ultimately, if you are in a space and place, whether you're in your car, in the shower, in a, in a chair that you love right now, and you just have this internal dialogue of speaking with God, that you're praying. That's, 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 a, that's a beautiful thing. The purpose of prayer, though, which is where most people miss it, the ultimate purpose is not to get God to do things for us, but it is to be formed in our inner being, to be formed into, for a Christian, into Christ-likeness. And I say for a Christian because lots of people pray. It's not just a Christian thing. I mean, Jesus prayed, Peter prayed, St. Paul prayed, Gandhi prayed, Muhammad prayed, Mother Teresa prayed, your grandmother probably prayed. You know, and, and lots of people pray. And so for a Christian, in the Christian tradition, our hope and our desire is that we would be formed in Christ's likeness, that we would be formed more into the person of Christ and who Christ was. Which, the reason that's such a big deal and such a beautiful thing is because Christ was the, the picture of Peace and rest and grace and mercy and love and freedom in the middle of the chaos. And that's that's what we see in Jesus. So here's how I think it works. We live in what I would call two realities. The first reality is the reality that we see. We see with our eyes, we hear with our ears, we smell with our nose, we we sense with our that the world is in really bad shape. I mean, we see this. Uh, There's pain, and there's death, and there's sickness, and there's poverty, and there is war. And there are tales of war, and there is pride, there is greed, there is discrimination, there is prejudice, there is racism, there is sexism, there is pain, there is sorrow. I mean, when you look out at the world. 
this is what this is what you see. If you doubt that, just turn on the news and there it is. It's just, you know, that's the reality that we see with our eyes. But the thing is, especially for Christians, that there's actually another reality. But the only way we can experience and step into and see this reality is to take on and begin to see with the eyes of Christ, with the eyes of God. And that would be things like this, that Christians historically understand that though there is chaos and every all this stuff is happening, that the Holy Spirit is always with us and within us. That's, that's what Christians believe. And so in the midst of it, yes, this, but wait a minute, I have a different lens and I understand that even in this, God is at work. God is present. A, a, a Christian view of this would be that God still hovers over the chaos of the world. Remember Genesis chapter 1, perhaps, where it says that, you know, in the beginning it was, it, was, it was void and there was chaos. And yet the scripture says that God, the Spirit, hovered above the chaos. And so, uh, you know, a, a Christ-centered thought would be that in the middle of it, that God still hovers and God still breathes. A Christian thought would be that God is, in the midst of it, shaping new creation and shaping new people new creatures shaping us in the middle of it we believe that god is not a spectator in all of this that god is not aloof that god is not far off but god is present and god okay we believe that god uses everything in our lives the good the bad and the ugly to somehow i don't know how god does this shape and bring about good and beauty and love and mercy we believe these things, but we don't always see them. And that's in part where prayer would come in and shaping and being formed. I'm going to read a couple of different passages uh, today to just give us some, some food for thought when it comes to the scriptures. In Colossians chapter 2, this is what St. Paul writes he, in verses 6 through 10. He says, now listen, just as you received Christ Jesus, I want you to continue to live your lives in Christ. Rooted in Christ, built in Christ, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head. Christ is the head over every power and authority. And then St. Paul goes on to say, and so what has happened is Christ has disarmed every power and authority. He made a public, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so what St. Paul is saying to us is, listen, there's darkness and there is evil and there are, there's all this stuff, but ultimately Christ, who took on all that stuff, was killed on the cross and came back from the dead. What basically Christ has done is he has said to all of these dark forces, to all of the chaos, to all this stuff, it says he, he, he made a public, a public, publical, I don't know, it's going to be my new word. So when I say publical, what I mean is public spectacle, okay? He's made a publical of, of the darkness. Just made a spectacle of it. Like this is, this is no big thing because Christ is victorious over it. What we need is a spirit 
infused imagination. Paul says in Romans, he says, listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another way uh, I've heard that said is be transformed by the renovation of your imagination. Allow the Spirit of God to renovate your imagination so that when you look out and you see this, that you are constantly reminded, wait a minute, God is at work. Christ is present. This war, this thing, this situation does not get the last word. Darkness does not get the last word. And in the middle of it, we're looking for Christ. We're looking for light. And we're looking how we can also be that, be Christ in this. And I would suggest that the way we get this imagination is through prayer. Like through actually stilling ourselves. Through slowing it down. Through resting in it. Prayer brings us in tune with what I believe a Christian's true reality is. And when I say that, remember, two realities. One the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That's what you see with your eyes. Reality number two, Christ has and is redeeming all of this. And Christ is good, and Christ is love, and Christ is beautiful, and Christ is merciful, and Christ is gracious, and Christ is redeeming even in this, whatever this is. Prayer is a different way of processing these realities. Okay, think of it like this. Imagine for a minute that you have a thinking cap, which you do. And let's take the normal thinking cap, which I would call the calculating mind. The calculating mind is like this. We have on our thinking cap, the calculating thinking cap, and it's everything has to make logical sense. Maybe you've experienced this in your life before. And the calculating mind deals with the world in black and white. It's either this or that. That's the calculating mind. It's an egocentric way of thinking. Everything that happens, how does it impact me? How does that affect me? How does that benefit me? How does that hurt me? How does that help me? How do I fix that? How can I avoid that? I mean, that's the calculating mind. And we're, that's how we're The calculating mind is a way of taking my current life, my hurt, my pain, my relationship, my failure, whatever it is, and then inviting God into those things. All right, God, here's my stuff. Now, can you come in here and fix this? The calculating mind. It's egocentric. It's self-centered. But what if there was another way to think? What if, and Paul talks about this. He says, take off the old stuff and put on the new stuff. What if, you, what if we took off the calculating mind and we put on the, what, what some uh, um, of the early church fathers would call the contemplative mind? And it's like the contemplative mind is instead of calculating everything, it's a little bit more soul-centric as opposed to egocentric. And the, this cap is where we're not trying to get God to so much change situations as we're trying to allow God to change us. It's a big deal. Because you will realize that when you are becoming more Christ-like, the situations might not change, but if you're changing, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's greater peace, there's greater freedom. 
to pray then is to intentionally invite the Spirit of God to change our processing system, to, 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 to invite God into the situation, not just into our newest dilemma, but allowing God to, what if we could see our newest dilemma through Christ's eyes? What if we had Christ's mind? Actually, St. Paul talks about that. He talks about that in um, 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, you now, as a follower of Christ, as one who has submitted and surrendered yourself, you now have the mind of Christ. So start thinking like Christ. Well, how do I do that? I, honestly, I, I think you got to like spend some time just practicing. I tried for the long, man, for years and years and years, I tried to get away from like meditation or contemplation or, or prayer being like a formative process because I, I, like, I felt like it was so legalistic the way that I was originally taught. Like, you've got to do this in order to have a good day. And I'm like, oh, I call, I call bull. But I'm not trying to just have good days anymore. I want to be formed. Like, I want to be changed. I want to, I want to experience Christ in this situation. I want to see what's happening around me and see what people are going through and experience what I'm going through, but I want to be able to, to have the words and the life and the breath of Christ in that situation. Because sometimes I go to pray for people at the hospital and they still pass away. And, and, and it's like, well, if that's the case, then how do I... How do I recognize Christ even in that to be a person of peace, to be a, a peaceful presence, to be one that says, hey, even in this, somehow, some way, there's hope? Or how do I learn how to actually not even talk in those situations, which is often better? <laughs> not say anything. My favorite thing, one of my favorite thoughts in the scripture is that, you know, Job, you guys remember Job? And Job was having a really bad life. It's like all of a sudden you get this story. If you've never read Job, here's what happens. Uh, Job, like, his kids get killed. He had like 10 kids. His, his camels get stolen. His sheep. I mean, he's having a bad day. It's like his house gets, catches on fire. His skin breaks out in disease. It's just bad. And, and it says that Job's four best friends came to hang out with Job. And they were like, for seven days, they sat with Job. And they just sat there in silence. And on the eighth day, they opened their mouths, and the whole thing went to crap. The next 40 chapters of Job is them trying to explain to Job why this was happening. And Job's like, I just needed you to sit with me. That's all I needed. Had they been better at contemplating, they would have known that, and then we wouldn't have to read 42 chapters. It would have just been a two-chapter book. I'm convinced of it. Then, like, And then Job's friends came, and they all sat. And Job eventually felt a little better. Prayer. Think of it perhaps like this. What if we thought prayer is an exercise in divine participation? <clears throat> We're just participating with the divine. All right, God, what are, you, what are you doing? How are you shaping me? What are you forming? The way this might work in soul care. You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. I read this week, you are how you pray. I like that. You are how you pray. So, if I'm a kind of person, and I have been 
in my life. I'm, I'm not this way anymore. But for, for years and years, if I was how I pray, then this is how I was. God, oh, please, oh, please, and this, and this, and this, and this, and God, this, and God, this, and God, this, and oh, my God, and this, and this, and this, and this. My prayers were frantic. My prayers were always emergencies. <laughs> my prayers were always, oh, this fell off. Please fix it. You know, it was just, it was boom, boom, boom. It's full of angst, full, and, full of anxiety. So if you are what you pray, that's probably. But what if prayer becomes a practice in which we regularly turn our attention to listening to God? Now listen, I, asking God for stuff is absolutely on the table. I believe that Jesus is very clear. Hey, ask, ask. You need stuff. You do. I mean, even the Lord's Prayer that we prayed this morning, and give us this day our daily bread. That's, that's, that's Jesus' words. So we're asking for provision. I pray that every day. I really do. I, God, today, whatever we need, financially, emotionally, mentally, give us what we need today. Our family, our community. So asking is still on the table. The point simply being, it's not all just the asking, but it's also the and in the middle of this, God, what are you doing? How are you shaping me? What are you doing? What are you saying? How are you changing me? How are you sh- forming me? Us. Because I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think this anymore. I know this. How we pray will determine how we, how we live. When you find that place where you're able to sit in rest in the presence of God, it, it, will, it will manifest itself in the chaos at work. I work with second graders, trust me. It's true. It's true. Because what's on the inside, y'all, it comes out. That's the whole deal. If there's angst and chaos and freak out on the inside, that's what's going to come out. And if there's rest and peace and freedom on the inside, it's going to manifest itself. But the only way we get there is to actually pay attention to it. That's, that's all I'm saying. And so how does it look in your life? I don't know. Um, I'll tell you how it looks in my life. It looks like I, I try. I told you on my rule of life last week. I try to daily set aside for myself 30 minutes of silence where I can just drink my coffee and tune out the distractions. My current jobs allow me that 30 minutes a day. I encourage you to find something. But you know what? I'm not ritualistic or legalistic. It is a ritual. I'm not legalistic <laughs> about it. Like I'm, I didn't do on, on Wednesday. I wasn't, able to, I wasn't able to set aside time to pray or to read or to sit in silence because the day was just so, you know. But I try, not, I try to make that the exception, not the norm. And... That's part of it. And then part of that 30 minutes is I, I actually have a prayer liturgy which allows for times of simply sitting, not talking to God, but listening for God. It's part of it. Last thing, and then I want to practice something for a minute. Think of it like this. Jesus says, hey, your Father in heaven knows what you already need. This is, when you pray, God already knows what you need. I find this interesting. I almost think Jesus is saying... And you don't know what you need. He didn't say that. I think this was one of Jesus' kind of under. But listen, 
Come to prayer, but it doesn't have to be filled with a ton of words because your Father in heaven already knows what you need. By the way, God knows what you need probably better than you know what you need. Therefore, how might this look? Well, how can I participate with God? So I go to prayer and I've been fighting with my partner. And I launch into, well, God, would you make them see this? And would you make them see that? And would you make them understand this and show them that? And then as I'm in restful prayer, maybe God already knows that God's desire is to build a work of humility and self-sacrifice within me. And so maybe God's answer is, no, I'm not going to give your partner those words and I'm not going to try to transition them from that thought to that thought. Instead, I want to show you something about you in this situation. What would it look like for you to love in the midst of that? What would it look like for you to lay down your thoughts and rights in the midst of that? Then all of a sudden, you're challenged and you're like, I don't think I like this prayer thing. But you allow the work of the Spirit to begin to take place. And lo and behold, in the next three, four, five, six weeks, you, do, you practice this and you start noticing that your partner is coming around in a different way than you ever thought. But it's only because of the work that God's doing in you to bring you to a greater place of maturity. It's a, but we don't often think like that because we look with the reality of these eyes and not the eyes Christ. Or someone owes me money. God, get them to pay it. I need the money. Get them to pay me back. But instead, God desires to build in the ability within you to lay down your rights. It's trying to build in with you the idea that your provision doesn't come from the person that owes you money. Your provision comes from God. Trying to get you to lay down the unforgiveness. And so God says, no, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not worried about them. They, they can pay you back if they want whatever I What I'm concerned about in this situation is what's happening in your heart. Is forgiveness an option for you? No. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Is laying down the need to be right an option for you? No. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Because when you learn forgiveness, when you learn to lay down your rights, you actually are becoming more whole in Christ. And that's what what God's doing. Like, this is a... Two realities, two thinking caps. This is what is going on, I believe, with prayer and, and, and your soul. That's why I start with this. Your soul begins to, to come alive. Your soul begins to come alive. So here's how it works. Some people ask me, well, how do I pray? Uh, we did a, a We did a prayer school. I think we called it prayer school uh, last year. And we had six people. Candace was there. Ryan was there. Jeremy and Connie aren't here this morning. They were there. Kristen. Kristen. (coughs) Okay, so there were six of us. And what we did is we took four weeks. We got together once a week for four weeks. It was small. It was intimate. And we learned different models, traditional models of praying. And was it helpful? Okay, so these guys, these guys found it helpful because depending on your background, if you grew up Catholic, you have a very um, 
you have a very specific understanding of, you, you know, you pray liturgical prayers, they're all rote prayers, and, and that's kind of how, but then if you grew up Protestant, the Protestants rebelled against the Catholic prayer so much that you're just taught, you just, you just pray like, hey, God, you know, do this or do that or whatever, you know, I mean, so it's like, there's no balance on either side, but there are such amazing, beautiful, rich, deep, connective ways to pray. And I think, I'm, I'm really tempted to do that, that four-week class again, uh, just because it was, it was so helpful. It was so much fun. But we talk about things like centering prayer, Ignatian prayer. Uh, we talk about, uh, they, they've got all these Greek terms. There's cataphatic prayer and there's apophatic prayer. And it sounds fancy. Apophatic prayer. And I don't understand why we have to still use those fancy words in theology. But the apophatic prayer is where you actually try to empty your mind of all things. You close your eyes. It's a very Protestant way of praying. You close your eyes, you empty your brain of everything, and you try to just let God fill that space, and I love it. Cataphatic prayer is where you actually light candles. You concentrate on symbols. You, know, um, you, you hold a prayer rope or prayer beads, or, or you, you, you look at an icon or, or, or recognize a, a cross and allow, you pray with your eyes open. You allow creation. You know, so it's like you do all these different kinds of things already. You just don't, but they're, they're tools. But that's the bottom line. They're tools. And then there's Tevia prayers. Do you guys remember Tevia from uh, Fiddler on the Roof? <laughs> and the reason they're called Tevia prayers is because Tevia was a man who would just be going about his business. And uh, I'll never forget, there's this one scene where he's walking home with his, with his mule, and he's like, oh, God, God, how come this, and how come that? And then all of a sudden, you hear his wife, Tevia! And he's like, oh, I'll talk to you later. I must go and take care of this business, you know, and it's kind of like, <laughs> so Tevia prayers are just, they're just conversational, and they're amazing. All kinds of ways. I think we're going to do that because I can't get into all that in a simple uh, Sunday morning. But here's one that we will try today. If you've never heard of this, um, it's called uh, ACTS, A-C-T-S. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't. But it's a, it's a prayer model that would consist of A is adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication which is basically asking or petition and I like this in a way because it, it, it allows a person to not just ask asking is actually last and what a lot of people have found is when you spend time first off adoration is is just God you are in my life I've recognized you to be faithful I recognize you to be forgiven it's, it's, a, it's an adoring kind of movement. God, you are beautiful, you are merciful, whatever it might be. And it really, it's whatever resonates with the, with the individual at the time. Confession is exactly what it sounds like. Holy Spirit, you know, there are a couple, I, I just, I recognize in my life that, um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm constantly worried about this and I'm not really, trusting for provision i want to confess that and in the midst of confession confessing it i want to ask you to meet me in that space because i don't know what the heck to do about it i'm stuck i'm scared but i confess it because there's something in the christian tradition about that thanksgiving leads us right after confession to a place of and i'm grateful for this i'm grateful 
for the provision that you have provided thus far. I'm grateful that the absolute worst things I ever imagined would happen to me in my life haven't yet happened. Oh, but, and then petition, supplication, that final. It's a moment, it's a time of asking God, God, this is what I need. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I still do that. God, I need this person to own up to their crap. And then that's usually when God's like, yeah, let's just work on you. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. But the ACTS is a, it's, it's much more of a Protestant uh, uh, kind of thing, but, but it leads us just, and, and my, my suggestion is if you, if prayer is a thing for you that you're just like, I don't know how to pray, and I don't even know how to devote time to pray, okay, then my encouragement would be find <coughs> 10 solid minutes some point in your day. It does not matter what time of day. But is there a possibility where you could get 10 minutes? Maybe it's your lunch break and you can get back to your, your car. But is there a way that you could go 10 minutes? Actually, let's do eight. Two minutes of adoration, two minutes of confession, two minutes of thanksgiving, and then two minutes of asking. Let's go back to 10. And then the last two minutes, no talking. Just that song we sang, breathe in this, breathe out that, breathe in this. What if you just took the last two minutes and concentrated on your breath? And every inhale... I'm breathing in the presence of the divine. And every exhale, I allow myself to breathe out the angst that I've been feeling. I breathe in God's peace. I breathe out that anxiety. I breathe in God's presence and I breathe out my fear of not being provided for. It's a very physical act. Because prayer engages mind, heart, soul, spirit, emotion, Prayer engages body. When I pray, I have I make the sign of the cross for various reasons. I hold I have I have a prayer rope that I hold, uh, which helps keep me grounded to my prayer, so that when my mind starts to wander and I remember that I have my prayer rope in my hand, it brings me back because my body is engaged. It's not just a is that you know it, it may or may not make sense, but it makes sense to me. So I I, I, I love my my prayer rope. I, I, it keeps me grounded in the, 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 the practice at hand. Ten minutes, eight minutes, six minutes, I don't care. If you do nothing right now, six minutes is amazing. And if you can eventually work ways in your life that allow you to, 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 to give more time to this, you will, I, you'll find that your soul is being formed. Here's the bottom line. Your soul is already being formed. 30 minutes on Facebook, You are being formed. When I'm on 30 minutes of Facebook, I'm being formed in the ways of envy, the fear of missing out, jealousy. And this is how I'm wired. Those things, you might not feel any of those things. You might feel other stuff. Bottom line is, always, I told you last week, we're always being formed. So what kinds of practices might we consider that would lead us more towards the things you wanted to cultivate last week? This might be one of those practices that plays into it, and you find it helpful. I I would hope you find it helpful.